Uh, that hymn of faith that uh, Devin uh, played so beautifully, uh, It Is Well With My Soul. And if you know the, the storyline behind that, that hymn, he had basically lost everything that was dear to him. And it was still well with his soul. Well, this morning we're... I don't know why that struck me so much, but other, other than this, that the passage that we're going to be looking at really illustrates that not only through an individual's life, but through a, a worldwide scale of people going through suffering and making that choice of trusting God even though it wasn't going to be easy. And so uh, with that as a backdrop, we're going to have a word of prayer for a moment, but just a word of praise. Uh, in the first verse, we were able to participate in a baptism for one of the newer people in our church. Her name is Maral. I can't pronounce her last name uh, yet, but um, she's been with us for the last couple of months, and she has made a commitment to Christ. Uh, she comes from Iran and uh, wanted to demonstrate what God had done on the inside in a public way. And when we were just rehearsing again some things, I said, I, I, do I have to speak? And I said, no, I'll, I'll, be, I'll do the speaking, uh, but I will ask you a question. Is it your desire to show uh, the world and our church that you love the Lord Jesus Christ and have put your faith in Him? And she, uh, in the practice, she goes, sure, you know. Uh, so, well, you can just say yes if you want, but anyway. Uh, but her faith is uh, firm in her, in her Lord and wants to, to live for Him. Well, let's look to the Lord in prayer as we look to God's Word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day in which we have opportunity to explore uh, what it means to to not only hear it, it can be well with our soul in the midst of great loss, but that this is true throughout the ages and in the age that is to come, uh, that your people will be going through great times of distress and suffering and persecution, and yet they will hold on to that which you give them, and they will persevere. And Father, we would pray, no matter what we're going through this day, um, no matter how difficult the times might be, that we will learn to trust you uh, at all times. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, as uh, we've been going through the, uh, the series in the book of Revelation, and whenever we take a week off, and, and if you've been with us in this series, you know, I, it's hard for me to resist the temptation then to review a lot, because I know you've forgotten a lot, you know. And so, uh, and the reason I know you've forgotten a lot, because as I look back, I forget a lot as well. And I think, well, we're right in the midst of all this detail. What happened before and what's going to happen afterwards? And, and looking at this, this description of what God has said will be like no other time that has been or will be. And so we'll do a little bit of that this morning as we try to set the scene of, of God's unveiling of what is to come. And we've talked, uh, hopefully clearly, the book of Revelation is not just about some mysterious sci-fi movie that that could be portrayed on a screen with all kinds of strange images. Uh, it, it primarily is about unveiling a person. Might we see Jesus more clearly and powerfully? That he's not just simply meek and mild, but he's mighty and he's powerful. He's coming not only as our Savior, he has come as our Savior, and he will come as the Savior of those during that time as well, but he will also be their judge as our judge as well. And, and so that with a backdrop, we also know not only that uh, who is coming, but what is coming. And as I've mentioned, this is going to be a unique time in history. Not that people haven't gone through suffering, 
and that, that they're not going through suffering now, and all we have to do, look, do is look at the descriptions of ISIS and the beheading of, of faithful Christians, uh, those who have put their, their life on the line to say that Jesus is Lord. But it's going to be on a much grander, greater scale during the days to come. And we don't know when that is going to be, but it's our opportunity, just like we read backward in the page of scriptures about God's people being faithful. This is the time we look forward and look back how they will remain faithful in the midst of suffering, in the midst of global judgment. God will rescue millions of people uh, who will come to faith in Jesus Christ. But with that as a backdrop, let, let's pick up a little bit where we were. And, and in terms of, of, of setting the scene, however, uh, I don't know if you've noticed that the, the, the political movement has started in our nation, particularly on the, on the Republican side. They're now going to have, I, I don't know if I read this right, they're going to have 15 debates. I mean, how many times can we hear these same people talk, all right? But anyway, there's going to be a, hum, uh, a lot of, verbiage on who's going to be our next president. And I guess this last one, I had an opportunity to, to watch it. There were 24 million viewers, which is, a, I guess, a record for a cable show. And as I was listening to all the things they said, it, it reminded me of um, something another politician has said, and I, I want to give this uh, to you and then ask you who do you think might have said it. Um, the streets are in turmoil. Uh, there are students in our universities that are rebelling and rioting. We are seeing radicals looking and doing everything possible to destroy our country. The republic is in danger. There is danger from within and from without. We need to look for law and order in our country. Without law and order, our nation will perish. It will not survive. Now, when you hear those words, you might be thinking if it was a contemporary, maybe it's someone on the radio airways and maybe is. It sounds like something Rush Limbaugh might say, uh, if you're kind of familiar with his words. Or, or it might be someone on the, the conservative right. And if you're trying to guess which news station maybe this pundit said these words, you're thinking, is it Fox News or is it MSNBC? And, you, and you're trying to pick out what side of the aisle someone might share words like this. Well, I'm going to give you the answer to who wrote these words, said these words. And it's not not a contemporary politician. It was actually said in the 1930s. And the politician who wrote these words and said these words, his name was Adolf Hitler. And as Germany had just survived World War I, they, they went into it uh, very prosperous and left it defeated. Uh, they went through a period of time in which their nation had lost all self-esteem. And even we now in our, our day will... We'll, we'll, the polls will describe what kind of confidence Americans have in America. Well, if, if that had been done in Germany during this period of time, well, they would have been the lowest of low. Uh, they were struggling to put food on the table. They were no longer a world power. Their future was, was bleak. Uh, it was all about gloom and doom. And this individual who looked more like Charlie Chaplin than the, the example of the Aryan race, okay? He was not six foot two and, you know, 200 pounds full of muscles. He was a little guy, right? But he had powerful words, and he moved a nation. Often when I read the book of Revelation, and, and I, I dare say most of us when we read the book of Revelation and we get kind of immersed in it, and after a while we're saying, you know, is, is this really going to happen I mean, I can, can, 
can we wrap our minds around that whole planet being deceived? People following after world leaders that will promise them everything and they'll buy it? I mean, will it be the low-information voter era, you know, group of people? Will it be the, the people who never darken the door of a church? Is, are these people the uneducated the realm of uh, the populace? Well, if you're familiar all with Germany, they were fairly well-educated. There are great universities in the nation of Germany. And interesting enough, they were rather religious. In fact, historically... The Protestant Reformation came out of Germany. Martin Luther brought everybody back to the yeah, Bible. Okay, I've got one person still listening with me, all right? Back to the Bible. I mean, they were, they were, they were well-versed in this book as being authoritative, and yet this little man screeching at the top of his lungs captured a nation and almost ruined a world. And so as we read about what is to come, it should not surprise us that people will be deceived. In fact, reading about this period of time, it said that 80% of the people in Protestant churches of that day voted for Adolf Hitler to be the supreme leader of that, that country. They got out the vote, and we didn't do well. And so it's, it's so humbling for us to realize that not only can other people be deceived, but we can as well. And so as, as God, in His great mercy and compassion, has, has delayed this time, so much so that even in the disciples' times, they said, well, why is God so slow about His promise, about returning? And Peter said, well, God is not slow about his promise, but he desires that no one be perished, but all would come to repentance. And so we need to realize, just like the disciples of Jesus' day, after they thought it was all over, Jesus had gone to the grave and risen from the grave, and, and where was the sting of death? It was victorious in Christ, and the opportunity for forgiveness, and, and God fulfilling all the promises he had given in the Old Testament to restore that which was broken. And really, that's the story of the Bible. This, this, no, nothing that happens ever surprises God. When everything came into existence, it came into existence through a word out of his mouth, creation. And then we messed up and mankind fell into sin. And every, every, everything from Genesis 3 up to the book of Revelation really is about God reconciling people to himself. And we all wonder, well, when is, when is this all going to end? All this confusion, all this evil, all this, this direction where we say, why is, are these things happening? Why is God allowing it? And God says, okay, there's just going to come a time where it's going to end. And the foolish revelation of that is in the book of Revelation, where God takes that which is reconciling and eventually will restore everything back to his attendant plan. But in announcing to us how that's going to happen, it, it's, it's sobering words. It, it, it's, it's like the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, where, where death, but even in the midst of death, God's truth will remain still. 
if you picture some of the things we've already seen, when God begins to unfold his judgment, the wrath of God, it, it begins even then with deception. Because get what God does is he allows the evil one to capture people's hearts. And the evil one raises up an individual and he promises them peace. And aren't we kind of doing that as our nation right now, peace at any cost? We'll get into any kind of agreement just so we can feel there might be peace. And then after peace, there will be, there'll, be, there'll be war, then there'll be famine, and then there'll be death and persecution. And then the wrath of God from the, the cosmic scene in heaven will come down upon earth. So much so that, that men will run and hide from God, just screaming for some relief. And that's the description we have in the book of Revelation as the, as the judgments begin to be poured out. And it's illustrated by opening up a book. And in this book, there, there are seven scrolls and there's seven seals in the scroll. There's one scroll, seven seals. And each one of them has a chapter of the judgments that will come. And then from the, the sixth seal come additional judgments that give more detail about what is to happen. And they're, they're called the trumpet judgment. And the trumpet judgments are, are the loud expressions of God. So often when we think about God speaking to us, we, we talk about God speaking to us in a, in a small voice, in a quiet voice. I think God can speak in any voice he wants, but, but God in the future is going to be speaking in a, in a volume that will be unable for anyone to deny his expressions. And those trumpet judgments are, are so horrific. It says that initially a third of the vegetation on the earth, of the planet, will, will be scorched. How do you think that will affect the food line? I didn't say this in the first source, but I was reading a quote this past week. There, there are only four nations that, that, that produce more food than they can consume. I think it, this was a few years ago, but it was the United States, it was Canada. France, and I think it was Argentina. Everyone else is somewhat dependent on everybody else to get at least enough food items um, for, for themselves. But somehow people get food from other places. Then even America, they say that really, we, you know, in, in terms of availability, we might only have a 10-day supply of food that's easy for their entire population. Can you imagine a third of the vegetation being consumed? And then it says a third of the sea creatures in the seas will be gone. A third of the fresh water will be gone. A third of the, scar, the stars in the heavens that give light will become dark. And, and then God says, well, and that's not the worst of it. He sends out a creature, an eagle, it says, expressing, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's going to get worse rather than better. And, and really the reason for that was because, and, and look, at up to this point, in, in the first judgment, there was a fourth of the population that died. And then in the trumpet judgment, a third more died. About half of the population in the world has perished in the first, say, half of this period of time of God's judgments. Or at least two-thirds into this seven-year period of time. And he said, it's going to get worse. What God does is he's, he allows evil to even more express itself in terms of its horrific torture of people. And so God allows the evil one to unleash those who have been imprisoned from past sins 
angelic beings that are now demonic, and they're released from the pit. And the first woe is they, they come on the scene, and they're like locusts, they get spread everywhere, and they have like scorpions as tails, and these are just descriptive terms. It's like, uh, you know, when I was young, when I wanted to read a Bible, uh, not a Bible, when I read, wanted to read a book, I said, well, does it have a lot of pictures in it, right? Well, these are pictures describing the truth. And it says that they're given one restriction. They can't kill anybody, but for five months, they torture people to the point where they, they want to die. And that's the first woe. And then the second woe is where God allows Satan to unleash 200 million other demonic, angelic beings. And, and they go throughout the word killing and ravishing people. And, and then there's one more woe, which is the final judgment that is to happen. And as you think about that, right in the middle of that, someone comes to the organ and they play, it is well with my soul, it is well with my soul. And that's where we need to realize that the message of Revelation, as we look about the suffering that will happen in the future, that we learn from what they will go through, that we are to trust God even when it's not easy. In the middle of this 13th chapter that we'll see if I ever get out of my introduction, is that God causes people to persevere. In fact, not only causes people to persevere, they will persevere. And if some of those who are saved during that period of time, I really believe we don't look, we don't look to find to find out who is the Antichrist. We're not trying to figure out the numbers and how that relates to people's names. That's not our call. We're looking for Jesus. That's who we look for. But God has given us this detail in the midst of that. Number one, we would want to warn people or at least give the good news to people so that they can know God now. And so we look for Jesus because Jesus promised to come to rescue his people before he brings judgment here upon the earth. Just like he rescued Noah from the floods that were to come, he's going to rescue his people now. Not that we deserve it because God is gracious. But the judgment that is to come is for us to be again assured that God is not asleep up in heaven. He didn't wind the clock up and put it on the shelf and just forget about it. He's just waiting for this time in which it's over. God's patience has run its course and judgment will come. And so as we, we look at this period, we see what God is doing and then God gives us a glimpse in the, in the midst of the detail about what the evil one is doing. God is rescuing people. It says, again, as I shared to you earlier, he'll, he will rescue people from every tongue, every, every tribe, every nation, and they'll come to him. There will be a multitude of people who will respond to the message of Christ. But in the midst of that, the majority of people will rebel against God. And part of that is because of the evil one's program that God allows to happen, and God even sends a deluding influence that people will not believe the truth because they have denied the truth. And what we have here in the book of Revelation is, particularly around the 13th chapter, is the unveiling not only of who God is, but who the evil one is. Most people, when they talk about the devil, they think that's someone you could maybe let come out of the closet at Halloween, where some little uh, boy or girl, for that matter, put on a red costume with horns on it and carries a pitchfork. But there's a real evil one that's coming and he will counterfeit all that god is in fact when satan became satan he was lucifer before that he was a shining light he came to the point where he wanted to be like the most high god in fact that's what he said to god in isaiah 14 
And so what we're going to look at this morning is you know, who is coming that's going to counterfeit all that God is doing. So if you have your outlines, and, and let me just tell you this, this is a long introduction, but I, I, I'm not, there's a lot of details in here that I'm not going to, I'm not going to even know if I'm going to say it. I, I don't look at, whatever I put on the screen, I never look at, I just talk when I'm up here, I just try to preach when I'm up here. And so you'll have to grab it from the outline, because I might not have a fill-in-the-blank statement every time I preach. But I want to just talk about three people today. I want to talk about the evil one, Satan. I want to talk about who he's sending, the Antichrist. And then I want to talk about the false prophet as we see this uncovered in Revelation 13. Let's begin with Revelation 13. But before Revelation 13, there was Revelation 12. And we'll begin at verse 17. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. And from a couple weeks ago, we looked at Revelation 12 in which the picture of Israel as being the woman of God with child, who is Jesus, the, the evil one, the red dragon, and his redness is, is symbolic of the bloodshed that he, be, he displays. He has, a, he has a graphic view of, of the power that he has invested down through history and the seven heads and the ten horns and the, seven, and the, and the, um, and the crowns representing the, the great world uh, kingdoms that were here and the, the kingdom that will arrive during this period of time which which Satan will be, through the Antichrist, will, will be ruling over the probably the revived, what we would call the revived Roman Empire in Europe, but will spread throughout the entire planet. And God defeats him. And when God defeats him, it just turns up his program to attack God's people throughout the entire world. And it says in Revelation 13... And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. And the sand of the seashore probably just makes uh, mention of, of the nations that spread across this world. And he stands on it being seen himself as the, as the ruler of all the peoples on this planet. But what I want to say, the warning is there is an unholy trinity coming. And know, first of all, that Satan is coming, who is the counterfeit of God the Father. And I just want to put a few things down here that kind of portrays that. As he begins his program, we mentioned this all earlier, is he begins with a program of peace to capture people's um, hearts with that. We even have a gospel today that emphasizes, if you come to Jesus, you'll experience health, wealth, and prosperity. You'll experience only the good things in life if you come to Jesus. Well, that's not a message from Jesus. That's a message from hell. God never said it's going to be easy. In fact, someone has said this. That we wouldn't think the Christian life was so hard except for someone told us it was supposed to be so easy. No one ever said it would be easy. Jesus said that, or Peter said this. He said, or actually, Paul, no, Paul said this. Paul said this? Paul was Paul. He said, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer what? Persecution. And Jesus said, in this world, you'll have tribulation. And so we should not expect it to be easy. And part of that is because of the enemy we have. But Satan will represent himself as well as his followers as a, as a man of peace. Revelation 6.2. I looked and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering in a conquer. And we talked about that when we were in that chapter, is that the program of Satan initially will to call people to to have peace at any cost, and it's all about following him. And if you were to describe someone on a white horse, would that person be a good person or a bad person? A good person. That's how Jesus, that's how Satan will portray himself, as a man on a white horse, a man of peace. But we need to recognize that, that God really is the only source of peace 
in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God. That's where peace comes from. It does not come from our circumstances. And we know particularly in that, in that phrase, he goes on, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You, know, you only need the gift of peace when things around you are not very peaceful. Isn't that true? I, I, don't, I don't pray for peace when things are going really well, but when things are not going really well, that's when I need God's peace. And so he is the source of peace. Also described in the Bible is that as far as a being being an angel of light. And if I were to ask you that question... An angel of light. Is that a good angel or a bad angel? Now, you would normally think that's a good angel, right? It's an angel of light. But that's not how the Bible describes who this angel of light is in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. No wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So that's how he portrays himself. He, he portrays himself as someone who's good, someone who is a, who is a provider of peace, and someone who's going to do things that bring light to people. And then it goes on a commentary about people who follow him. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds. When Hitler emerged on the scene, you know, he didn't, he didn't have a name tag saying evil one, the one who's going to kill responsible for 20 million people dying during World War II in the conflict. He looked like a savior. He did a lot of great things, good things for the nation of Germany in the beginning. He was an angel of light, just like Satan is. But the Bible says that God is light. In 1 John 1, 5, it says, God is light, and in whom there is no darkness at all. And, and that's, you know, one of the things that we'll have to do when we uh, vote for people, whether it be local, statewide, or national, is that we need to look at their, their, their view on issues that we're facing as a country. And then we also need to look at their character. Character counts. Character counts. That's, that's why, and I'm sure amazed at why one particular in the Republican poll is rising to such levels of popularity. I mean, character's got to count somewhere. Okay. A powerful ruler. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Normally we think about Satan as only a defeated foe. He is defeated, but he, he, has, he has power. He's a ruler in this world. But ultimately, God is the ruler of all. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. This, how is the devil portrayed in the scriptures? A great red dragon, um, a devil which means slanderer, evil one, serpent, destroyer. Roaring lion, Belial, which means worthless, enemy, tempter, murderer, accuser, and liar. Does anybody want to invite them over for dinner, him over to dinner today? I mean, why would anybody follow this great deceiver? And yet billions of people are doing it and have been doing it. And he counterfeits himself as the provider of only good things. And James said, God is the provider of all good things. And that's how Satan provides, uh, presents himself. Secondly, Know that the Antichrist is coming, who is the counterfeit of the Son of God. So Satan is the counterfeit of, the, of God the Father, and the Antichrist will be the counterfeit of the Son of God. And hopefully you'll see this as we look at that. In 1 John 2.18, it says, Children, it is, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. 
Matthew 24, verses 4 and 5 says this, And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. That doesn't mean they're necessarily going to say, I am Jesus. But what they're going to say is, I am the answer to your life. I'm the one you ought to follow. I'm the one you ought to believe in. And I will provide for you. Come to me. That has happened in the past. It's going to happen in the future. And it will culminate in the one who is the Antichrist, who who believes that he is the answer. You know, Jesus made some amazing statements. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But there's coming one who will make that same claim for himself, and he'll be the Antichrist. The word anti means uh, against Christ, but also means instead of Christ. Well, let's look at what it says. And here's, or I'm just going to go to the text out of Revelation 13, and you might be able to get some of the fill in the blanks as I go. Uh, Look at uh, verse 13 again, chapter 13, verse 1. Then I saw a beast, and the word for beast means vicious animal or monster, coming up out of the sea. And the sea there is probably a symbolic as in Revelation eleven seven and 17, 8 as, as the abyss, the place where the demonic world resides, having ten horns and seven heads. And on his horns uh, were ten diadems, and on his hands, on his heads were blasphemous names. Now again, what... God gave John to portray about what was to come was done not only in words but in visionary pictures about horrific uh, beings that will represent what is to, what is to happen. And, and he, he represents Satan as this grotesque uh, being that rules over kingdoms, seven heads. That's probably the, the great world empires throughout uh, human history. And human history is not that long. It's only about 6,000 years old. But the, the world uh, empires have been Egypt and Assyria and Babylon and Medo-Persia and Greece and Rome. And then there's going to be what we would say the next kingdom to come, which is that revived Roman Empire. And then it will reside itself in Satan and the Antichrist himself. And he says, I, I'm, I'm over all those things. And on that there will all be ten horns. And now that ten horns represent that, that last kingdom, that that kingdom that will come before uh, the evil one takes complete control. And on his heads were blasphemous names. Now, the word blasphemous simply means to speak evil of. And you'll notice in, in our day and age, you know, people can, can say a variety of things about God in general, but boy, if, if, when it really speaks evil of people, it, speak, it, it speaks about what they say about Jesus. And that is where the attack will be on the, on the message of Christ, where there will be evil things that said about uh, Jesus uh, the Christ. And the beast which I saw was like a, like, a, like a leopard, and his feet was like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. This one who is to come, who is the Antichrist, uh, the lawless one, the, 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 the ruler that will come in and, and take siege over this entire planet his power will come from from satan himself and he will have characteristics as as a supreme leader one of the things that need to happen in our world today whatever you do you better do quickly if you're going to capture people before somebody else gets it he will be like a leopard he'll be so fast he'll he'll seem to be like everywhere at once he will be powerful like a bear and he will roar with authority like a lion and these mirror even other kingdoms in the past, whether it be uh, Greece or, or Medo-Persia, and then f- or the first 
kingdom that was great power, which is Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar. And, and this will be the, the, the expression of this one who comes, to pass, come, comes into being. In fact, if you look at Daniel chapter 7, I invite you to read through Daniel again, but Daniel chapter 7, Daniel 8, we find he's a great orator. He's able to capture people's minds by what comes out of his mouth. He will manipulate people, he will deceive people. And then it goes on in verse 3, I saw one of the, the beasts as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. You know, after a while, you know, only, talk will only go so far. And then people are going to say, well, that, you, you, you've, you've said a lot of good things, but you've said that you're powerful. Well, what can you really do? And this one who comes, and he'll be the counterfeit of the Son of God, uh, he will apparently lose his life. He will be slain. Somehow he will die, or at least it will look like he, he dies. And then if he's going to counterfeit Christ, what is he going to have to be? He's going to have to look like someone who rose from the dead. And, and when that happens, when they see this person as a person who conquers death, they will run to him to worship. And that's what it says in verse 4. They worship the, the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast, and they worship the beast, the Antichrist, saying, who is like the beast and who is able to wage war with him? Now, that's the other thing that will allow this, this evil one, uh, who is empowered by, the, by Satan, Lucifer, to, to capture a planet, is after he gains power, he will not only receive power because he's brought some peace to the land, and he will sign a peace treaty in the Middle East, and it looks like he solved our biggest political problem. We think nuclear war right now will somehow blast off at any moment. And he will solve some of the economic and food issues that are happening in this world. But once he gets power, after a while, they'll begin to realize, well, even if we wanted to go against them, what would happen? We, we, we couldn't go against him. He's too powerful. It's like the UFC, Ronda Rousey. Have you ever, you've been watching that stuff? I mean, no one wants to fight her, all right? She, she knocks off her opponents in 30 seconds. And see, that's what will be here. Uh, she'll be, uh, the Antichrist will be the big bully in the world, and no one will stand against him. Verse 5, there was given to him a mouth, speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority was to act for 42 months uh, was given to him. God puts him on a time leash, and he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Uh, and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. His influence will be global. And, and often what people are now wrestling with is, wouldn't our world be a lot better if we could just unite everybody? Get everybody on the same page, going down the same direction. And, and this will appeal to people. And then those who resist that, then they need to be dealt with. Someone needs to deal with these dissenters. And so not only does he have the power, but the people give him the authority to, to go after everyone in every place that won't follow him. And then in verse 8 it says, And all who dwell on the earth will worship him, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was, has been slain. Everybody will worship him. 
except for one group of people. And those are people who are written in God's book. And when we evaluate our own life here, as we think about any kind of a registry that we might be in or any, any type of role that we're put on or any, any, any group of people that we identify with, the, the one place that we want to make sure that we've made or someone else has made for us, God himself, our mark in his registry is God. Because only those who are God's will resist the influence of this evil one. And, and then in the midst of this, John gives a, a word of, of application. He says, if anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with a sword, with a sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. You know, one of the great questions you could ask yourself is, am I really truly a Christian? Am I part of God's family? I mean, to put it like, when I die, do I really know where I'm headed? And is there, is there a way to know before I, I get there whether I'm a child of his? Well, one, one thing that we have to honestly look at ourselves are, are, are we persevering in our faith? He, he put it pretty graphically here. He said, I want you to understand that some of you, it's been destined that you're going to be killed during this time. Some of you will be captured and imprisoned. And I want you to know that, that, that the true children of mine, they're going to they're remain faithful. They're going to persevere. Do, do we have anything in our, in, in our <laughs> journal that says, God, I'll trust you unless you do this or allow this in my life? Now, we don't have to conjure up the strength to go through tomorrow's trials because today's trials are, are, are enough for today. But what we can do by faith is say, God, no matter what happens in the future, I want to be faithful. And I believe that you can make me faithful. I, I don't want to quit. I want to persevere. And so the readers of that day who are going through difficult times, and the readers of this day who are going through difficult times, and the readers of that day who will be going through those times, said, you will persevere because I will be with you always. Even in the midst of the evil one who counterfeits the power of God the Father, or the Antichrist, his sidekick, who is demonically filled, who counterfeits the Son of God, or even the third person, kind of the, the, the last of the unholy trinity, the, the false prophet. The false prophet comes on the scene, and we know the false prophet coming who is the counterfeit of God the Spirit. And, and let's look at his description real quickly in verses 11 through the end of the chapter. Then I saw another beast, and it's another, it's another of the same kind, just like of the ilk of the Antichrist. It's almost like a, a, two individuals on the same uh, journey. And what's interesting here, one almost takes on the identity of the good cop and the other the bad cop. And the good cop is the, is the religious leader, the false prophet comes on the scene, whose, whose main goal is to somehow exalt the Antichrist. Coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. Now that's an interesting image, isn't it? 
This, this prophet who's going to be represented the evil one, he, he speaks the evil out of the dragon, but he's going to look like a lamb. And it wasn't that Jesus said, beware of, of, sheep in, of wolves in sheep's clothing. He, he exercises all the authority of the, of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal womb was healed. I mean, of course, one of the things could happen if, if someone was to look like they had died or had a suffering illness and then came back to full health, you could say it was the miracle of modern medicine, right? But that's not what this religious leader does. This is someone we need to worship. He's conquered death. Verse 13, he performs great signs so that he was, it even makes... Fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. He's able to do the miraculous. And often people today will say, well, you know, I'd believe God if I could just see a miracle. Right? Have you, have you ever heard people say that? Well, if I, if I could see the miracles that were done in the New Testament here, then I, I'd believe in Jesus. Well, God, God knows that we're so easily deceived that miracles are not just thrown out for attraction. And Satan is able to counterfeit a lot of the things that that people marvel at. And just like the two eyewitnesses, or the two witnesses of of Jesus were able to consume people by fire coming out of their mouth and calling down fire to to control their, to to give destruction to their enemies. This false prophet does things that, that just capture people's hearts and minds. And part of that is able to, to look like fires coming down from heaven. Verse 14, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform um, the, the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the, wor- of the sword and has come to life. So as, as the false prophet, and, and really, I, I mentioned he's the counterfeit of the Spirit of God. What, what does the Spirit of God do? Does, it, does the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, does he, does it, does he exalt himself? Or does he exalt who? He exalts Jesus. And just like the false prophet, he's not trying to glorify himself, but he's trying to glorify the Antichrist. And he comes to the point and says, let's build a symbol of worship, this huge statue image of him. And then they do some tricks of the trade and get this image to speak. And it was given to him breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast would even speak and, and, and cause as many as to... As do not worship the image of the east be killed. And so all the dissenters spiritually, even though all these miraculous things are happening, they must deal with those who will not believe. Those who are faithful to the true God, not the false God. To the true Trinity, not the unholy Trinity. Verses 16 to the end of the chapter. Then he causes all, the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the freemen and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. There will be no need to make sure you have your passport with you or your credit card. It will be embedded in your body. And it provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For the number is that of a man, and the number is 666. It will designate people physically what they can do in terms of uh, will they be able to eat and whether they'll be able to survive. But even more so, it's a spiritual designation. It's a designation, and, and we don't need to try to figure out who this 666 could be 
uh, in the future. It's simply a symbol saying there will be a mark, a tattoo, some type of way of conveying that you are for this one now who's ruling in this world in an evil way rather than that Christ who is the true Christ. The number 666 is symbolic of anything short of that which is perfect, which is God. Seven being the, the, word, the, the number of perfection. And 666 in a trilogy is shorter than 777. So, so what are we to make of all this that's just mind-boggling in terms of all that's described and portrayed? There's coming in the midst of all the judgments that will, even up to this point, half of the world has perished. That in the midst of that, the evil one has a program in which he will try to capture the hearts, which has always been his plan, to, to have people follow him rather than follow the true God. There will be an unholy trinity personified in the Antichrist and his false religious leader that will capture the hearts and the minds and the souls of people. What are we to learn from this? If God is calling them to be faithful, then to trust him even when it's not easy, then. God wants us to trust him now when it's not even easy in our days. Jesus says, in this world you shall have tribulation. All those who desire to live in God, godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Don't be surprised by a, a variety and a various sundry of trials and temptation that will come your way. But in the midst of all that happens, God is faithful, who will not allow you to go through anything you're not able to go and endure and escape faithful because he is faithful. Let's pray. Father, it's overwhelming to think about what is to come. But Father, you, you give us that glimpse into the future so that we might look at the trials that we go through and say, if, if they can be faithful then, and we can be faithful now. And Father, we thank you when you provide so much fullness of life as we live and experience life during our days. But Father, when we are so challenged by what goes around us, near us, within our family or our closest relationships, might we, above all else, like Job, Though he slay me, yes, I will serve him. Help us to, to show people our love for you, even in the midst of difficult times. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing this.